Welcome to Cover Girls, Drinking and Overthinking, in which we take a story we love and analyze how well it was adapted. I'm Chris. I'm Kristen. And I'm Allison. Join us as we meticulously pick apart our favorite stories until no stone is left unturned. It'll be bookish. It'll be boozy. It'll be bantersome. And it won't be boring. So grab a drink and get ready to overthink. Let's dig in. Drum roll, please, but don't really do it. (laughs) Obedient to a fault. (laughs) Our first theme is Holes, which you probably will already see in the title by the time you're listening to this. The book was published in 1998 and the movie was released in 2003. It took the world by storm. In our first episode, we'll cover the first half of the movie, the second half in episode two, Then we'll move on to covering the book in sections. So stay tuned to find out which exact chapters we're covering in each episode so you can maybe read along with us. We can move on to the drinks if y'all want. How are you feeling? Excited? Oh, yeah. Excited and scared. No, (laughs) this is good. I'm a little scared too. (laughs) Yeah. No, this is good. Um, Who wants to go first with their drink? Well, mine is an original concoction. Um, so I call it a twisted Topo Tito. Ooh. So it's a Topo Chico, obviously. Tito's, obviously. Fresh squeezed tangerine in there. And then a chamoy rim on the oh. glass. So you, you did a your rim. Chamoy. You're so fancy. Oh, yeah. She I love my chamoy. chamoy. <laughs> a little spicy drink. I don't know what that is. Mm. It's like a candy chili kind of thing. It's kind of like um, a lot of, pe- it's in a lot of Mexican candy. If you've ever oh, okay. had that. It's okay. really good. Cool. Allison? I am starting with a Bloody Mary. The mix has habanero in it because of that spicy Texas heat. And I have... A huge chunk of sweet onion as my garnish. (laughs) I will say that's a first. How does it taste? It's actually really, really good. I don't have onions in it. It's just the garnish, but I smell it every time I take a drink. And is it good? Is it good? Smell it? (laughs) Yes, but the downside is that my eyes water just a little every time. (laughs) I'm happy with it. Um, I really am. I went um, exceedingly simple. This is a, a, it's not even a drink, really. It's not alcoholic, but this is a drink that uh, my dad and I invented, Um, which is to say it is also Topo Chico. So I I will be uh, filing some kind of uh, copyright infringement with you. (laughs) And um, it is like 70% Topo Chico. And then you add in about 30% raspberry or strawberry lemonade. And it is about as refreshing as you can get. And I, I was thinking something something nice and refreshing for the hot summer sun. After a hard day of digging holes? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and like briefly say what we thought of this movie when we were kids. Chris, do you want to start? Yeah, so... I mean, I I loved it immediately. It was a hit for me. Um, I actually have a funny story about how I saw this movie for the first time. Um, I I went to a school and I, I was in middle school when this came out. 
And if you, you could get like credits at school for being good. Uh, I can't remember what they were called. Allison, do you remember what they were? I don't remember. Listeners, um, Chris is my sister. I'm Allison. You'll get to know our voices, but Chris is my sister and we both went to a private Christian school. Uh, and I don't know what you're like referring to exactly, but I have a vague memory of it. You'd get like little tokens for doing good things. Yeah, it was some kind of like kudo points. I don't know. Uh, Christian credit. I have no idea, but... <laughs> Um, so I guess I got really good grades. I'd collected enough. And one thing you could do was take a day off of school. Um, if you collected enough points. I do remember that. Yes. So you could I, take a day off school. You could take a whole day off of school. A yeah. whole day. You could start, you could a take a whole, whole day. And I sure took a whole day. <laughs> so I took the day off and my mom took me to see holes because that's what I wanted to do. And so it was really special to me. Like that's what I used my day on was going to see holes because I really wanted to see it. And I watched just like we're doing now. I watched the movie before I had read the book and, and both are fabulous, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's my introduction to holes. And it, in my opinion, it holds up. (laughs) Nobody is going to listen to this podcast. Nobody. Okay, Kristen. I wish I had a very relatable, nostalgic memory like that. All I remember is seeing it multiple times. And like you said, it's as a child, you kind of just expect perfect performances from everybody because you don't have a really critical eye yet. So I wasn't able to appreciate how perfectly everyone was cast in this movie. They just did their jobs. And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. I don't, I think I had not really watched a lot of, oh my gosh, what's it called? Even Stevens. I had not watched a ton of Even Stevens, but I was familiar with it. So I kind of knew that that was where Shia LaBeouf came from. And fun fact, I'm pretty sure this was his feature film debut because he has, of all people, he has an introducing credit at the end of this movie, which was wild to me. I mean, we knew him from Disney Channel, like not just even Stevens, but he'd been in a couple like Disney Channel original movies, but this Mm -hmm. was his first like blockbuster movie. And knocked it out of the freaking park. I Absolutely. can't wait to get into how yeah. much I love it. But anyway, I don't I don't have any specific memories other than I know I watched it a lot and there were many things I think that I picked up on it that I picked up on this time that I had not thought of or hit me differently or things that I was able to notice with a different eye. I also don't have as meaningful of a story as Chris, um, but I do just remember watching it a lot. I really, really loved it. And my biggest takeaway from this movie was the song, the original song, Dig It Up. I have listened to it probably 40 times the last couple weeks. Oh, I'm really glad you said, honestly, that's a perfect segue into like, let's just start because the very first note that I have really was this music has already got me. Like, holy cow, it's perfect. So my first note for the movie is that intro song is Fire. Yes. Fire. So good. (laughs) It has no business being as fire as it is. Like, what on earth? 
No, somebody just really took their job seriously. And it was fantastic. And the first thing that you see is the blazing hot sun causing lens flares. And already you get this feeling of like, you can feel the heat. You can get the idea of like, okay, this whole movie is going to have that feel to it that like, oof, it's so hot. And then you pull back and you see all the holes that these children are, and you see that they're like children. And as a child, I was like, oh, wow, they're digging holes. As an adult, as somebody who has in the course of their life done hard labor in the sun, mm-hmm. which I don't enjoy doing, um, I it gut-wrenched me in a way that I was not expecting. I Seeing all those holes hit me in a way that I was like, I wanted to like just gather these children, take care of them. I know. Because I immediately was able to relate to the labor that they had done and how like how sickening they must have been and how immediately as a child you're not really able to understand why barf bag's reaction is to go get himself bit by a rattlesnake and as an adult you're like oh yeah i don't when i was a child watching that i don't think i understood the gravity of that no and by the way listeners um you know, Kristen brought up that like she's familiar with hard labor growing up. And actually all three of us, this is a fun movie for us because all three of us um, have lived in Texas. Me and my sister, Chris, currently live in Texas and pretty much always have. I've had stints in other places, but we're Texas natives. And then Kristen, you, uh, you're not originally from Texas, are you? I was born in Michigan, but I lived in Texas for the majority of my growing up years. So yeah, very. We've all spent a lot of time in the Texas heat. Totally. And for me and my sister, Chris, in particular, we grew up, um, our dad's a cattle rancher. And we definitely grew up like helping him ship cattle. And for me, I specifically remember a lot of instances of digging holes for fence posts over and over. That's such a strong memory for me. Yeah, absolutely. And those hot, hot, hot summers. I mean, I remember we would work cattle and it would be like May when we were shipping them. And there were cowboys that would pass out from the heat. I mean, so seeing kids do that, you know, do government mandated slave labor. I mean, it's the kind of heat that makes you want to, like, y'all know, it, if y'all have never been to Texas, especially South Texas, in uh, in the heat of summer, if you walk out of the air conditioning, you you kind of just want to throw up instantly. It just, it hits you. Where do y'all imagine in Texas that they were? Where do you imagine this camp East being? Texas, somewhere in East Texas. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking West Texas. Okay. I was too, like pretty far West Texas. Okay. Yeah, like near like the border, like Lajitas, like I was gonna far say out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess like both Alpine. of us were thinking like far away from Central Texas. Yes. Like, yes. Either way, like where we are is once you get out of Central Texas, you are far away from civilization. Like he's not mm-hmm. kidding when he says there's no water. Yeah, which is why, oh, I, I just, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead for just one tiny second. But when Mr. Sir is not giving um, Caveman the water, Ugh. I'm like, you could kill him. Like, that's yeah. really, really dangerous. That's a Super dangerous. Okay, but in the interest of moving forward in order, so Barfbag gets bit by the rattlesnake, and then we cut to Shia LaBeouf uh, and the shoes falling on him. 
And I want to say really, oh, go ahead. You go first. Well, I immediately have a question. Why does he run? I don't really understand why he's running when he didn't steal the shoes. I think, didn't he hear the cops coming? And I guess the shoes had fallen on him. So he figured they were looking for someone. Right. But he could have just left the shoes and walked on his merry way. Like he's not the one who stole them. But he runs. And the cop says, why are you running? Yeah, that's, a, I mean, that's, that's a really that's good, a good point. point. I, I also think it could be tied to the fact that he, it's, he's said to be, right, he's obviously a fan of Clyde's sweet feet, which is why he's, he's able to recognize the shoes immediately. So maybe that's his first thought is like, I don't, we don't see that connection, but maybe he does recognize the shoes and he realizes oh, shoot, like, I know whose these are. Yeah, I still find it a little implausible. No, it is weird. It is a little bit of a MacGuffin. Yeah. yeah. But um, it moves the plot forward. It does. And I do want to note that there was a really nice nod to the fact that the second he sees a strange pair of shoes in the wild, his first reaction is to smell them because he's been trained so well by his dad. Like that's what you do with sneakers is you check the smell. <laughs> that is funny. I didn't that notice so that. True. That's a, that's a good detail. <laughs> Speaking of his father, we're about to meet Henry Winkler. Henry as- Winkler can do no wrong. And Absolutely no. I, this is this is a note that extends to all of the adults. But I have my note in general for all the adults, and it was first inspired by Henry Winkler. Was I'm willing to bet that at least fifty percent of all the adult dialogue in this movie was improvised? Because really, I I would I would think well at least all the background stuff. Like there are several scenes where you like hear them arguing in the background <laughs> or. Hi Ari, is it a? <laughs> Aria? Was that who that was? Or no, was that, that wasn't Aria. That, that was, was that was Chris's oh. dog. Hi, Rue. Jordan's <laughs> home, and so Rue went to find him. <laughs> Jealous of you girls that have pets. I'm a lonely old spinster <laughs> over here. Uh, so the script is very tight, but there are several moments when like Henry Winkle is arguing with the landlord or with the cops or Mr. Sir and Dr. Pendansky are arguing with each other. And all of that flows so beautifully. And you can tell like, it's just pros working with one another. It's incredible to watch every single casting choice. And I love that you mentioned earlier, Kristen, that there's this weird juxtaposition with like these really well-known adult actors and these brand new kids who have like never had a career before and they all work so beautifully together. Yeah. Most of which like hold their own with the impressive adults. They do. So we meet Henry Winkler. Uh, We meet Shia LaBeouf's parents. Um, I'm going to switch between calling him Shia LaBeouf, Caveman, Yelnats. Like I have so many names. (laughs) But um, we meet his parents and I want to mention that this like Jewish sounding music immediately starts playing, which becomes their theme. And I think it's really catchy. And I like when (laughs) characters have like theme music, but I'm also like, God, this couldn't sound more Jewish. Like way to introduce like these people are Jewish. (laughs) Like like super stereotypical. Are they Jewish though? I was just thinking in general, like, uh, like Polish descendants. It sounded, I don't know. I don't know. Am I wrong? I just thought I don't they just, were Jewish. Well, that's let's a... See. Let's see. 
That's a great point. I have no, I will say I didn't immediately assume that they were Jewish. I have Jewish relatives, but I'm not super tied into Jewish culture. So it's possible that I missed something. It says that he's implied to be Jewish. Okay. That's yes. fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I but think it, the music was the implication. The, but the the music, the, but the music was also. Um, I noticed the music as well, not uh, immediately with Jewish connections, but I did. You do get the feeling of like there's there's chaos here, there's whimsy here, there's like this is not this is not a strict tidy home. No, and it is well written in that regard. And speaking of his home, like he's obviously taken over the living room for his business, and he's got all these inventions and this like foot press machine, and it gives me extremely whimsical vibes, like you said. And I think of like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It was very Roald Dahl, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I I also, this is such a stupid small detail, but this whole movie is stupid small details, which is why I love it. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that you see like, it's shoes, 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 shoes everywhere. Total shoe chaos. But then when you walk into Stanley and Stanley's room, his grandfather, um, immediately all the shoes stop and it is kind of tidy. And it's such a it's a really cute sign of like delineation and respect. Like he's like, this is a, this is, he's clearly obsessive about the shoes, but he's also not forcing this life on his son. Right. He's not like, we're the shoe family, which is an interesting juxtaposition to the warden's family and how he brings her obsession on to her. I actually think the Yelnats are a beautiful family. Like they are. They're, they just, I like the way they communicate. They let each other talk, but they also, they're just like, the way they communicate is very open and considerate, but free. And I just think they have a good dynamic. And obviously they relate on this curse, which they uh, start to intro in the next scene. The grandpa is like, oh, it's all your dirty, no good, stinking, rotten, whatever. He says pig stealing, which I want to address. Um, But (laughs) I also want, we will come back to the, we'll come back to the communication thing really quick because I want (laughs) later on, I want to talk about the letter that he writes to his mom. But. I can't wait to talk about that. But we won't jump ahead. Why does his grandfather stay say pig stealing when he definitely didn't steal a pig? So he did quite the opposite. My thoughts on that is it was stolen because he never he never fulfilled his side of the bargain. The Madame Zeroni gave him the pig and ordered him to take it up the mountain, sing the song, whatever it was he had to do. And then his part, uh, the way he was supposed to pay her back was by taking her up the mountain. And he did not pay. Right. So that's so his I form think of that's okay. Yes. I see. Yes. So it was theft because he didn't pay for it. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I, I okay. see. So you're saying it wasn't a gift. Okay. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I also want to point out that there is a really interesting trend in this movie. I caught four times, and I would love to see if y'all picked up any others where the camera, it's a straight on almost distorted close-up of a person's face looking straight into the camera and saying something. And I caught four times. And the first one is the grandfather saying, it's your no good pig stealing curse, cursed great-great-grandfather. Like when Madame Zeroni is like, but if you forget to carry Madame yes, Zeroni she was, up the mountain. She was the fourth one. And I and I didn't see any others after that. Um, what but I caught two? four of them. Uh, 
the the second one, and I have a theory on why they're all at these times. Um, but the second one was when Caveman runs up and he's like, hey, Theodore, can you help me uh, fill my canteen? And Armpit pushes him down and gets right in his face and says, my name is Armpit. Yeah. And that's, for some reason, the second one. The third one is Rick Fox as Clyde um, looking straight into the camera and saying, anybody who would do that is no fan of mine. Oh, yeah. That hit me. Can't wait to talk about that, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much but, to so talk about. In general, my uh, we, we can, like, mess with those later if we want to, but that's kind of it. And really, just my thought was, whenever we see a close-up like that, um, that was the director's choice of saying, like, this is something paradigm changing for our protagonist this is him Mm. this is something that changes the way that he sees or experiences the world right the first is the grandfather talking about the curse which shapes his whole life Mm -hmm. the second is theodore saying my name is armpit which is saying like welcome to this world like you're in it now Mm -hmm. um the third one is clyde Sweetfeet saying you're no fan of mine like you've done a bad thing you're a bad person Mm. yeah um, and then obviously the fourth is Madame Zeroni inflicting the curse. Yeah. I love your theory. I think it's probably correct. Um, but I also want to point out that, uh, the grandfather's talking about the curse and Shia tells his mother, don't worry. I don't believe in the curse, which of course, anytime a character has that viewpoint, mm. that means that it's real and they're going to have yes. to learn why <laughs> right. it's real. Right. <laughs> Classic. Like, well- at any time a character says unequivocally anything in a movie, you then immediately cut to them like doing the thing they said they would never do or yeah. having the bad luck they said they'd never experience or something like that. It's all about teaching them lessons. Um, so <clears throat> we still haven't even gotten to green. Like, oh my God, I knew we would have so much to say. This is so fun. We gotta keep the pace going. Um, so Shy is sentenced. He goes to court. And can I just say how cute and lovable he is in his oversized suit. With his little suit that definitely <gasps> belongs to his dad. Yes. And he says, I've never been to camp before. <laughs> He's such an earnest character. Oh, that's a good word for it. I have a, especially, he is all the way through, but especially at the beginning. And I have a note too about the fact that they say that digging holes builds character, right? That's their, like, their joke and their excuse. And yet it kind of turns out to be true in what we see of our protagonist mm-hmm. because he starts out as, like, like he doesn't fight back. He's immediately, he says, yes, Mr. Sir, absolutely. Yes. He's so He's earnest. respectful kid. Oh, my gosh. My heart. I, I put in my notes, I miss this Shia LaBeouf. What happened yes, to him? Is he okay? Is he okay? I know. No, he's not okay. But oh, oh, these Disney stars, y'all, they just, uh, they hardly ever turn out okay. No, they grow them in a lab so good, but there's there's a hard expiration date. But quick, um, quick side note of someone who did turn out okay. Speaking of even Stevens tying it back for a second, um, Christy Carlson Romano, you know, plays Ren, and she lives in Austin. And I was on her game show. She has like a YouTube game show. I competed and won $500. That's amazing. Stick horse race. Um, But she's doing great. Like, I actually think that she made it out alive in a good way. Listen to our podcast. I love you, Christy Carlson. (laughs) Oh, oh, fun fact. Also, shameless plug here. She commented on a TikTok of mine that went viral and commented, sang with a heart. 
So she's a fan of mine is what I get to say. We're best friends now. Kim Possible and I are best friends. And she is also someone who has come out to reveal, um, I think, what was happening um, with Disney actors uh, during her time at Disney. Um, Several of them have come out and spoken out about how they were treated. And so she's she's working really hard uh, to make sure that other young actors are not put through the same things her and Shia LaBeouf were. Yes. She's really open about her experience and um, very vulnerable about it. And mm-hmm. that's something I respect. Uh, she's she not seems, afraid yeah. to... Yeah. She seems like a, just such a lovely person. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really <laughs> never met her. Very proud of her. For for being able right. to to go through that and and be open about her experiences, she's also been on Broadway as well. She briefly uh, did Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, she's a great another story. connection we have. She's been on Broadway, and I want to be on Broadway. So we're basically the <laughs> same person. Connection, yes. <laughs> all right, it. all right, all right. Moving on. Okay, okay. So let's talk about yeah the courtroom. Yeah. Story. So he's uh, he's riding the bus, uh, or, or or do we have anything else or, to say about the courtroom? Uh, the only thing I have to say is, um, speaking as somebody who is uh, also a paralegal on the side, in addition, paralegal slash legal secretary, in addition to being an actress, um, that judge is one hundred percent getting paid off by Green Lake to send kids there. Like that's not <laughs> even a joke. He just is. Guys, I have so many questions. When we get to it, mainly at the end. So, by the way, listeners, uh, both Kristens—they're both named Kristen—but we're calling my sister Kristen Chris. Uh, both Kristen's work in the legal system. So I have so many questions for both of you when it gets to the end of like the money and it being found on a property. I, I can't wait to talk about all of that. Um, but no, you're right. That judge just 100% is pushing him to go to Camp Green Lake. Yeah, no, it's it's very, very, especially, I hate to say this, but um, especially in Texas, the closer a judge gets to the border, the more likely they are to be a judge that accepts bribes. That is just a true fact. Um, something else I want to mention is that, oh, and y'all, I can't believe we're 37 minutes into recording. Not 100% of this will will stay in the cut, but we're only five minutes into the movie. And I wanted to say, I put this in my notes, that when he's, he's on the bus to Camp Green Lake, we've only had five minutes of the movie and we've gotten so much information. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I have a note at 15 minutes in, we have everything we need but at five minutes and we've still got so much so much it really starts with a bang they just mm-hmm. don't waste any time nothing is wasted and i've i that was my thought over and over not a thing is wasted in this movie and that's why like quick note obviously i think everybody knows this now but i believe 100 percent that that is because the author of the book also wrote the screenplay so he knew yes. exactly how to adapt it. There's nothing shoehorned in there. There's nothing stupid that a producer was like, oh, we need to have this. Every second of this movie is valuable. Nothing wasted. This is, aside for a few things that I think have not aged well in terms of movie making procedures and techniques, I'm going to go ahead and call this a perfect movie. I don't have a lot of criticisms for this. I have a couple moments where I'm like, does that completely make sense? But I understand it's in the interest of time and storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I'd give it a pass. Um, but I agree. This is one of the closest, closest examples I can think of to being a perfect movie. Um, so, so he, please go ahead. I'm just trying to move us along as much. No, as no. Possible. I was about to move us to the bus. 
why does he see Sam? Why does oh he see God, Sam? I was, I wrote the same thing. Is it just because he's so, clearly there's something connecting these three families. Like, it's just destiny. It's just destiny. I just, yeah, I was a little bothered by it. Like, okay, so suddenly we have a ghost. That's interesting. Doesn't fit in much to the rest of the movie. And we see Sam's ghost a couple times. But like, why does Shia see him and no one else when he doesn't actually have a connection to him, like via the curse? Like Sam not has nothing curse, to do not with a familial connection. It's yeah, it's it's a little odd. No, the the only thing I can think of, and I I was really trying to like parse this curse thing, um, and I did note that like everybody who's listening to this knows the whole course of the story that they we forgive so much in this movie that would in any other movie be attributed to coincidence because this whole story is tied together by destiny yes so you could say to some extent like these two people are linked together by destiny in such a way and also stanley is like the right the pure of heart character right like he's the person who can pull out excalibur right like he's so maybe maybe Sam could like appear to the warden in a sense because they are linked as well, but she's not pure of heart, you know, like that trope. Perhaps. I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to think that it's just for fun and for storytelling. Right. Like I think we're definitely just reading into it too much. But I love that you came (laughs) up with a reason because I'm always trying to do that. Like, hmm, how does this really make sense? I do this in Harry Potter all the time. And usually I end up going, okay, well, J.K. Rowling just didn't think of that. But I have to, I have to, st- I, it's rolling. I have to say it's Ro- rolling. Okay, rolling. I know. I said that by accident. <laughs> I know that it's rolling. No, that's um, okay. Um, the, but that's exactly what I wrote was, why can he see him? And I think the answer is because they thought it would be cool. Yes. 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 So then he meets Mr. Sir. Awesome name. Um, and dude, this kid's spirit is getting beaten down immediately. And he's trying so yes. hard not to let it, but it is. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. It's hard to watch. And oh, oh my God, I love that he like is putting on the clothes. He's like, get naked. And I'd be like, oh God, like this is- yeah. But he's so obedient and like wanting to please that he's just like, yeah, okay. Let me just take off all my clothes in front of this yeah. strange man. <laughs> and then he, and then he falls over. And I, I wondered so much if that was scripted or if he like accidentally fell over while he was putting on the clothes. I wonder, but- with Shia, Shia LaBeouf is very gifted at physical comedy, and I'm going to believe it that that was supposed to be in there. Okay. And then Mr. Sir tells us that yellow-spotted lizards should be avoided at all costs because they will cause a slow and painful death, which of course means Stanley is going to run into these at a critical moment. <laughs> of course. And not course. only that, but I loved... Um, it would be such an easy thing to, like... The easier trope would have been oh, they're actually harmless and this is a story that we tell the kids to keep them from running away. And I, I appreciated that, no, like he's being deadly serious. He's like, no, seriously, you will freaking die. Okay, I have a big question because I oscillate back and forth. Uh, starting with Chris, what do you think of Mr. Pendanski, of the counselor? Oh, are we calling him by his title? Are we not calling him since he's not a real doctor? <laughs> right? <laughs> I think that mom is such a funny name for him. He, you know, I remember when I was younger, I think I had more, I think I was a little more confused about whether or not I thought that 
he might have a good side deep down. Because of course, at first we're meant to think like, oh, this might be the only decent person here to actually help the kids, right? Yeah. But as time wears on, it really doesn't take long. We find out that, well, he's really just kind of shitty as everybody else, you know? Um, There are a few times I see both him and Mr. Sir hesitate. Um, Mm. One thing I wanted to point out. So my opinion is he's worse than Mr. Sir on this, Mm. on this rewatch. I actually feel like Mr. Sir might be a better person Mm. than mom. Ooh, hot take. Yeah. Um, But uh, I was going to point out something really funny. There's a, there's a part of the movie and I think it's maybe when they're introducing um, us to Kate Barlow for the first time, they're playing that song sinners. Let's go down to the river to pray. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was because I had that, that connection in seeing mom, but that song is from Oh Brother. That Where song Art is also featured in Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Yes. <laughs> Which he is in. Which and is so how I, I know him. Yes. That's how yes, I knew him originally. Yes. Yeah. So it was just a funny little connection. Mm. I noticed that right off the bat too. I'm so glad that you said that. <laughs> I my take on uh on mom is that I I kept trying to figure out he's definitely a more complex character than Mr. Sir. And my take on him over the course of the movie because I kept trying to figure out what his deal is, like why is he here? And I think both of them right, Mr. Sir is clearly insecure about his real name and his criminal background, right? He's Marion, right? Dr. Pendanski, not a real doctor. And also, you don't realize it at first, but also deeply insecure. And I realized over the course of the movie, the very first thing he says, his very first line is, I want you to know that you are you are not a bad person, immediately trying to instill insecurity in other people. He's here not because he can't get it. Like he probably could get a job somewhere else, unlike Mr. Sir. But this is the only place where he can go where he can feel superior to other people. Yes. And I am so excited to point out that um, he refuses to use anyone's nicknames except for Zero. Mm-hmm. He always says Zero because it implies that you are less than me. There's nothing going on in your head. But when the other guys want to use their nicknames, that's very much like an instance where they would have power over him. So, because they're cool, Mm -hmm. they've got it figured out and these are the nicknames they want to use, but zero doesn't talk. Zero doesn't say don't use my real name or whatever. And I just think it's a really interesting, Mm -hmm. like, I think that the power dynamics in this movie are incredible. They're incredibly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that I, I had my notes on my rewatch was what did zero do to Dr. Pendanski, to mom nothing. that made him feel like this. And I, I think the answer is nothing. I think the answer is he's the only one who won't fight back. He's and so he gets to feel, he gets to fear the most superior because the other kids will always give him pushback. They're always like, no mom, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to take that from mm-hmm. you. But zero, zero will take exactly. it. And that's the only reason is because he needs, and Tim Blake Nelson is flawless at playing these characters who are so like diminutive and need to feel like they have power elsewhere. Mm-hmm. He's incredible. He's uh, so freaking his, his good. His treatment of Zero is actually one of the reasons why 
I found him to be a worse person than Mr. Yeah. Sir. Yes. The yes. calling him stupid and saying there's nothing in that little oh. head of his. It and it it was just so it was so different from like we've pointed out di- different than the way that he had treated every other child there and the singling out really bothered me. If, yeah. if he had treated all of them that way, then he would just be another Mr. Sir to me, but it was the singling out. Yeah. It was knowing he could. Exactly. Yeah. It's easy mm-hmm. prey. And I also uh, just feel bad for zero in general because he's at the bottom of the barrel no matter what. Like when Caveman, and I know I'm skipping forward a bit, uh, I won't do this for long, but- No, no, I you're, I know exactly what you're gonna accepted, say. Yeah, they tell him, they're like, no, you're in front of Zero. And he's the new yep. guy. He's not even been there that long, mm-hmm. but Zero is always at the bottom. That's their hierarchy. And I thought it, mm-hmm. it was very interesting that, I don't I don't think this is skipping ahead too much, but you, you tell me. Um, when they're having this, their discussion at the dinner table, they don't say, oh my gosh, you got him to talk to Mr. Sir or yeah, to the doctor. Yeah, we can go on to that. That's Zero doesn't talk. the next scene. Zero doesn't. Okay. Go for it. Oh, perfect. Zero doesn't talk to anyone. It's not just that he doesn't mm-hmm. talk to authority figures. That's wild. And so we, and he's only been there for the same amount of time. I do think we forget. It feels like Zero has been there a lot longer, like everybody right. else. But Zero and Caveman, they're both new. I do think it is important to remember that. They're both the newbies. Zero probably only got there like two or three days before Caveman did. Yeah. It is interesting that they're for- all yeah, I forget that. so shocked. Like, you got Zero to talk. They are just like wildly um, thrown back. And now that you say it, yeah, he's only been there two or three more days. Like... And I, and I wanted to talk about something called like um, elective or selective mutism, which is what um, Zero's experiencing, which like happens to some kids. I don't know if y'all are familiar with it, but you know, do you, th- or, or I think it's elective. Well, they're yeah. both, I mean, it's called both in different scenarios. And I said either or, cause I'm not really sure which one you would call it in this scenario. Um, but in any case, like he's choosing not to talk. Of course he can talk. And, you know, kids do this after traumatic events, but I, it makes me wonder why it's a very, very rare, um, instance where this like happens from, and usually from trauma, like that's why it happens. So is it just because not just because, because this is a horrible thing, but like, because his mom never came back, is that something that would cause you to go mute? Like, why is he mute? I, I that's really my question. Oh, I, I actually, um, I, I disagree. Not that selective mutism is a thing, but I totally disagree that that's what he's experiencing. I don't zero again. I think is not being given out enough credit. He's a very smart kid, and as soon as he gets sent to Camp Green Lake. He says he assesses the situation and realizes I have no power here at all. The only power that I can withhold to myself is I'm not going to say, yes, Mr. Sir, I am not going to give them my voice. I think he fully recognizes that this is the only you talked about power dynamics. This whole movie is about power dynamics and how those shift. And I think he recognizes this is the one thing I have control over here. Not even my own body, but my own voice. Yeah, I mean, I I hadn't thought about it that way. I do think that that could, it could be either or. I don't have a strong opinion on that. 
we are dealing with someone who has been, uh, has had a very traumatic past. Um, so I do think that it could be selective mutism, um, that maybe this was the straw that broke the camel's back, so Uh to speak. I mean, he's been, you know, he's lost his mom, um, not, not truly lost her, but she's literally separated from him and he doesn't know where she is. Um, he was living in an orphanage. He, and now he's been sentenced. And what was it that he got caught for? It wasn't obviously Lifting a the shoes. a different pair of shoes. A different pair of shoes from a yes. pay less? Yes. Yeah, a pay less. That's right. That's right. Because he just doesn't have anything, right? Um, and so, you know, and uh, speaking of his trauma, what do y'all think his mom was doing? We never find out where she was. <sighs> No, and he says where she was going for work, she couldn't take him. She'd leave him at the playground, which, I mean, uh, neglect, obviously. I mean, I guess she didn't have another choice, but it made me wonder, what was she doing? I mean, are we to understand that she is a prostitute? Are we to understand, though, or is it just another situation where she didn't she wasn't able to afford daycare. Right. Like she if she was like job. working fast food or something. It's just so open-ended. But what, what could it be to where she would ne- not be able to come back and get him? Yeah. I'm my first, I'm just really curious as to, cause I haven't read the book in years over a decade, if not longer. I barely remember anything about it. And I'm curious as to whether the book explains more. I'm that. hoping it does. By the way, listeners, all three of us have read the book. Um, but only in our youth. It's been a really, really long time for all of us. So we're going off this movie as basically the main thing we remember. And I effect- I effectively yeah. don't remember a single yeah. thing about it. So it'll be really fun to discover uh, how much more filled out this story is once we read it. Yeah. I do wonder though, I mean, prostitution seems like the kind of thing that we would jump to the most, you know, as adults seeing this situation. And if that were the case, I don't think it would be mentioned in the book or movie either because he did such a good job of addressing adult themes without ever making them inappropriate yeah. for children. And you you can't, in, in the type of movie that this is, you can't bring that up. And the type of book too, I don't really think you can. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's one of those that had me wondering, and I know I'm skipping <laughs> like way ahead to the We're end. just going to do that. Sometimes it's going to happen. Yeah. Why couldn't she find him? Was she, uh, I'm a little confused. He should be in the system. It seemed like he was in some kind of like state uh, monitored orphanage or foster care. I mean, he's in the system, right? Why wasn't she, I mean, he, yes, he couldn't find her. He doesn't have yeah. any power, right? He doesn't have access to those resources. But why hasn't she found him? And that, I guess, bothered me. Like, and now she's just coming out of nowhere. He's also got a lot of money now. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't, and she, it, it she, and she manages, right. to, she manages to be found by him at the exact time when he's a millionaire. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, and that's maybe the, you know, pessimist in me. I'm just looking at it like, cause I'm a mom and I'm like, I would literally do anything yeah. to find my child. Like you would just never. And 
I know they don't address that. And I don't know if the book addresses that. I really don't remember. But it was just one of those things that kind of like it was just too neatly wrapped in a bow for me. I felt that too. And I, I want a happy ending oh. for him so badly. I yes. I want her yes. intentions. And I'm willing to, to be believe pure. a lot. Yeah. Um can mm-hmm. I just quickly point out that we're at 55 minutes and maybe we should do this movie in three parts. <laughs> thinking that might uh have to happen so um do we have like an in an, we don't have any ideas for outros really do we dig it up uh oh dig it <laughs> dig it up oh oh Thanks so much for listening. If you have the time, guys, please rate and review us. It would mean the world. It bumps us up in the algorithm as a new podcast. It's huge. Also, word of mouth is going to be the biggest way to share this podcast. So if you know any decrepit millennials that need a little slice of happiness in their life, a little bump of nostalgia, please, please share with them. Uh, We would super appreciate it. All right. Tune in soon for the next episode. We love you.